All right, that's enough fellowship for now. Good evening. I am not Pastor Dan, in case you haven't noticed, although we do look very similar. Yes, I borrowed his shirt, and his dog Cody is sitting at our dining room table right now, eating our leftovers, but... Um, I'm Dave Shipley, and I'm one of the new elders here, and Pastor Dan asked for me to teach tonight in his stead while he is vacationing, him and Kim are actually at a pastor's conference, and I hope you got the word that he wasn't going to be here, because if you showed up tonight expecting to study the book of Revelation, we're not. Well, actually, we will. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a... Um, a little bit of it, but uh, matter of fact, anybody got a stopwatch? Anyone? Break out your phones, even though you're not supposed to have them out. Break out your phones and get ready to time me. You ready? I'm going to teach you the entire book of Revelation in 30 seconds or less. Are you ready? Anybody got got it ready to go? Someone keep me honest here. On your mark, get set. Here we go. John is given the revelation of Jesus Christ by God. God tells the churches to get their act together. The Lord takes his believers off the earth or raptures them. This begins a seven-year tribulation period. A bunch of bad stuff happens as the wrath of the Lamb is poured out. Seven years later, Jesus comes back and sets foot on the earth and arrests Satan. A bunch of good stuff happens for the next 1,000 years. Satan is let out of jail for a short time, but then is dealt with permanently. The good guys win because Jesus is in charge and the bad guys lose. God creates a new heaven and a new earth. We get to live with the Lord for all eternity. Hallelujah. The end, I mean the beginning. Did I get it? (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's not what tonight's going to sound like. Okay, so now that I've taught you in the entire book of Revelation, you don't have to come back and hear Pastor Dan teach the rest. (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding. Oh, He has been teaching and sharing with us some real wonderful insights in the book of Revelation. And wouldn't you agree that you've just been fed... Isn't it just amazing to dig into God's word? Okay, well, now that we're, what chapter are we in? Seven? Coming up on seven? Is that the next one? Six? Eight. Eight. Okay, well, I've been taking care of the kids back there, so I don't know. Um, Chapter eight, so we're getting through it pretty quick. Um, With all that wonderful teaching, now what are you going to do with it? What does the word tell us that we're supposed to do? Because just having the knowledge doesn't do much for you. Um, It's like knowing John 3.16, but not applying it to your life or to anyone else's. It's like knowing CPR and this guy just passes out on the floor and you're going, I know what to do. Yep, I'll do compressions, I'll, you know get the airway open, I'll I'll take care of that. Boy, he's turning blue. Huh. Uh, Having the knowledge without putting it into practice is useless. You have to apply the word. 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, turn there with me.
Or in fact, have your Bibles ready because we're going to do some speed reading tonight. It says, now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. That word puffs up, that word puff means arrogant. So just having knowledge, um, I've worked with some scientists and engineers and they've got PhDs and LMNOPs and QRSTs and, you know, all these things. They have, you know, 20, 30 patents and, you know, they teach in academia around the world. And all. But do they know Christ? What do you do with all that? Now, having knowledge isn't bad, but having knowledge without the application of that knowledge, without putting it into practice, doesn't do any good. So tonight, we are going to talk about salt and light. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you this evening just thanking you for all that you've done. Father, we thank you for your precious word that you have brought to us and preserved so that we might be able to sit and study Father, I thank you for Pastor Dan and Kim, and Lord, we ask for your protection and your anointing on them. Lord, we just thank you for uh, blessing this fellowship with with their leadership. Father, we we ask tonight that, um, as Natalie so poignantly put it, Lord, we need ears to hear. Father, let us not just listen, but Father, let us allow the Holy Spirit to make application. We just commit this time to you. Speak to our hearts individually. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Salt and light. You may have heard a quote that usually is attributed to Francis of Assisi, but it really wasn't him, that says, Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. Um, We'll see this scripture. If you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We're to be salt and light. Could you imagine getting your salt shaker and pouring it onto your popcorn or onto your french fries and it doesn't taste salty at all? It it would just, I would throw it out. I would just throw out that salt. It'd be like just putting rocks, tasteless rocks on it. Or like drinking a flat soda. Uh. Matter of fact, one of my tests of having a good Pepsi, I mean a good soda, um, is that it has a bite to it. 
when I drink it, it just grabs my tongue and wrestles it around. And, you know, it, it's got to have that. Salt without its saltiness, without its flavor, its savor is worthless, Jesus said. So let's look at what salt is used for as God gave it to us. Understanding what its purpose is on the earth will help us to understand the spiritual application. And what is key in all this is that the Holy Spirit is needed for us to be salt and for us to be light. We can't be either one without him. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. I'm sure most of you have already heard this verse or have it memorized. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The first attribute we're going to look at with salt is that it is a preservative. Salt is like a way of keeping things from spoiling. And the Holy Spirit is that salt. It's like spiritual Tupperware. The Holy Spirit just locks in that freshness. And God has used him to preserve us until he calls us home. So... If you remember the old, like, Robin Hood movies and things from that time, uh, or even currently, you'll, you'll see that official correspondence was, was sealed. So think about the king sending a, an official letter to someone, and he pours the hot wax on there, and then he uses his signet ring and puts his special seal into that wax, And that letter is then sealed, and it's designed for only the recipient. And if anyone opens it besides the intended person, the punishment was death. So what we find is that in Revelation 5, you guys should remember this, there is something about seals. Okay, go to Revelation 5. See, I told you we were going to do it. Go to Revelation 5. That's just before the book of Concordance. In my Bible, it is. Starting in verse 1, we'll read 1 through 7. And I saw on the right hand of him, in the right hand of him, who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, 
having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. We see in chapter 6, Jesus then opening that scroll and opening each seal. You see, Jesus is the only one worthy enough to open the contents of that royal envelope because he addressed it to himself. He was the sender and the recipient. We know that Jesus wrote a letter to us concerning salvation. And we are in the envelope. It's written to us. And Jesus sealed it with his Holy Spirit. So if you can imagine getting a personal letter from Jesus, I'm going to read to you what mine says. To my precious and beloved son, David, what you have done in the past is forgiven because I paid for it with my life. I let them whip me, beat me, humiliate me, drive spikes into my feet and both of my hands, strip off my clothes and then leave me on that cross to let people walk by and gawk at me. But they left me there to die. When I took your sins upon myself, my own father had to look away. I did this willingly because I love you more than you can imagine. You heard the word of truth, the gospel, and you believed in me. You trusted me. I've sent the Holy Spirit to you to seal you up until I take you home to be with me. He is my guarantee that I will give you your full inheritance. Consider him as a down payment. Just wait until you see what's in store for you. I want you to know that you are mine. I paid for you. You are my possession, my beloved, my child. Signed with agape love, your Jesus. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. God has written a letter to all of us. And in that letter, he said the exact same thing. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 13. It says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, and that you may know what is the hope of his calling, 
What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. It's amazing that God gives us all of this. He equips us to do his will. He equips us to deal with what happens in this life. I had a wonderful, I, I love sharing this story. Um, as a teenager, I got to meet Corey Ten Boom down in San Diego. Uh, I was young. She was not. But it was an amazing uh, it was an amazing lesson that she taught, and I, I share this as often as I can, because we tend to worry about the future. We tend to think, well, what if someone were to tie me to the stake and start a fire and say, you know, um, say that uh, you know, the president is king and that you love him and not Jesus or, you know, something goofy or, you know, deny Jesus or we'll light this fire. And I think, you know, okay, how much torture could I really handle? And, you know, you just go through stuff like that. Um, or you may be thinking of, of some circumstance that is coming up. Maybe it's a test. Maybe, it, you know, a medical test. Maybe it's a, an operation. Maybe there's some things going on. And you just don't know what you're going to do. And Corey shared about uh, a time when she asked her father, she was just a little girl, she asked her father if she could hold the ticket to give to the conductor uh, as they took the train train, uh, to Amsterdam from the city they lived in. And he said, no, Corey, you cannot hold that ticket. Um, And she was worried about when when the Nazis first, when Germany first came into power and they started invading other other nations. And she was worried about how she was going to react and what they were going to do. And so her father said, Corey, you don't have to worry because that ticket to get on the train, I don't give it to you until when? She said, well... Papa, you give it to me just before we step on the train. And why do I do that? Well, because I could lose it or I could mishandle it. And he said, that's right. I give it to you just in time because if I gave it to you ahead of time, you wouldn't know what to do with it. She said, my papa told me that's how God, our heavenly father, takes care of us. He gives us what we need just as we need it, and not before. So we need not worry about those things. And the Holy Spirit is a gift that he's given us that is just amazing. In verse 17, as we just read, it says that God gives us the spirit of wisdom and reveals how to get to know him better, to become 
salt in this world, we have to be close to Jesus. And the only way we can do that is to allow the Holy Spirit to to give us that wisdom that we need. How do we handle this? How do we handle that? Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. I always like to say, flip over to Philippians. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Boy, doesn't that sound like our world? In the middle of a crooked and perverse generation. Sounds like uh, Paul was reading our newspaper. He may have had internet back then, I don't know. But look at verse 17. Look at how he says that he's being poured out. We need to empty ourselves to let the Holy Spirit fill us up. It is God who works in you to do his will, but you can ignore him. It's neat that we don't have to try harder. What we need to do is surrender. When you worship, sometimes you may lift your hands. And what is the universal signal when you have your hands raised? doesn't matter what language, what country. It means, I surrender, don't shoot. You know, it means I surrender. Well, do you surrender your heart to God? When, when I'm worshiping and there's a song that really just stirs my heart, um, I lift my hands. And it's a sign of, Lord, I surrender to you. I want less of me and more of you. And we don't have to try. We just have to let go. We have to surrender. If you are satisfied with being saved and not affecting others' lives by witnessing or teaching or fellowshipping, you're not being salty. I served in the Navy, and I'm considered an old salt, so you know. hopefully that helps a little bit. Um, are you being effective for Christ, or are you not salty? Are you ineffective for Christ? So what does that mean? Well, can I remind you of chapter 3 of Revelation? And there's a term called being lukewarm. We don't want that. We don't want to be 
teetering on the fence. We don't want to, you know, just play this game of tug and war with the with the Holy Spirit because he won't pull. He'll ask you to surrender. He'll ask you, let me work in your life. He'll ask you to be his mouthpiece. But you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can say no. But let me tell you, if you have failed in this area, which I do, I excel at failing. That's one of my gifts. If you failed in this area, don't beat yourself up. You don't have to feel bad. You don't have to feel guilty. Do you know the difference between Satan and the Holy Spirit? When you blow it, Satan says, are you kidding? You call yourself a Christian and you act like that? Or you say stuff like that? Or you have that kind of thought or attitude? Just give it up. Just walk away. You're, you're worthless. You're nothing. You're just, yeah, Christian. The Holy Spirit, that's condemnation. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. The Holy Spirit says, Dave, you blew it. You know, but God is here. He's here to forgive you and pick you up and try again. I want to encourage you. I want you to know that what you're doing, God doesn't care. That happened. It's over. It's done. You've asked for forgiveness and now it's clean. God doesn't remember it. It's okay. Now, if you would kind of forget it, you'd be doing better. But the Holy Spirit brings conviction, reminds us that we have done, that we have committed sin by doing something, or we've committed sin by failing to do something. Don't be discouraged. Don't listen to Satan because who is he? He's a liar. Matter of fact, he's the father of lies. So do not listen to him at all. And a lot of us still fight this fight. We still have to deal with this. So don't feel like you're alone if you're struggling with that. Secondly, salt is used for healing. So, have you ever had a dental procedure, a tooth taken out, or a dental surgery or something? What does the dentist tell you to do? Go home and rinse with warm, salty water, right? And you're like, okay, wonderful. That ought to be good. Well, salt is an anti-inflammatory, antibacterial, and it speeds up the healing process. Salt has been used to help the following ailments. Now I'm going to give you a quick list. Ingrown toenails, stuff your runny nose, psoriasis and eczema, rashes, poison ivy, sore throat, tired feet, aching muscles, bad breath, and it even stops heat cramps. Oh yes, and my personal favorite, it's used to relieve constipation. Uh, the youth already left, so I'll, I'll be talking relative to you. Um, have you ever had a colonoscopy? 
Well, all I'm going to say is I'd like to meet the guy who has the sick sense of humor to have named one of those aids before you go for your procedure, go lightly. Okay, so Epsom salts are great also. Um, And matter of fact, a study was conducted in Israel with osteoarthritis patients, and they took Dead Sea salt baths for two weeks straight, and it reduced their pain by 80%. Isn't that amazing? God has given us so much natural things on this earth for healing, and that's a whole other study. But unlike today, salt was not easy to get. You know, the Israelites weren't able to just go to the local supermarket and, you know, I'll give you two shekels for a, a can of salt. You know, it didn't work that way. Uh, it had to actually be harvested. And it was worth a lot. Matter of fact, the word salary comes from the ancient word meaning salt money. We say if someone earns their pay that they're worth their salt, right? You've heard that expression? Salt is also used to express promises and friendship between people. The Greeks considered salt to be divine. In the ancient world, ingesting salt by having a meal with someone is a way to make an agreement legally binding. So if we want to if I want to sell you five camels and two cows, and I say, Rich, I'll sell those to you for, you know, your daughter um, or, you know, your manservant or whatever you've got. And you say, okay, well, let's sit down and let's eat and we'll put some salt on our food. That then became legally binding. In the Old Testament, we see that God makes a promise and calls it a covenant of salt. And what that means is that this promise will last forever. It is an everlasting promise. In Numbers, we don't need to turn there if you're taking notes, I'll just share it with you. In Numbers eighteen nineteen, God makes a promise to Aaron and his descendants. And he says, it's a covenant of salt. In 2 Chronicles 13.5, God gives the promise of the throne that the throne of Israel would be established forever through David's descendants. It was a covenant of salt. He was talking about the Messiah, that Jesus would be that descendant and that he would reign over not just the physical Israel, but the spiritual Israel. Salt was required by God to be an ingredient in the free will offerings. If you read through uh, the Old Testament, you'll see all the requirements for the different sacrifices and the different offerings. It was required of God because salt was worth something. It wasn't easy to get. It cost them something. So if I'm going to give God an offering that's of my own free will, I don't feel like 
I'm being arm wrestled to do it. I don't feel like, well, I have to. Of my own free will, I'm giving God an offering. It needs to cost me something. Otherwise, it's meaningless. If something is inconvenient, you have something that's inconvenient, or it's difficult, or it's hard to do, it means it's a sacrifice. So if it costs you your time, your energy, especially when you don't feel like it, that's a sacrifice. You heard the scripture, the sacrifice of praise. When you give the Lord your praise, it's so easy when you're on the mountaintop and things are great and you're just rolling in the blessings and you're just, everything's going good. But then when you're in the valley and you're struggling or you're going through a real hard time, it's harder to say, oh, thank you, Lord. But you can, and if you do, what a sweet aroma that is to God. And it's a wonderful sacrifice of praise. It's not that you're sacrificing anything but your emotions, because he's still worthy. He still should be praised. You shouldn't praise God based on your circumstances, You should praise God based on what he has done. And that never changes. In those valleys, God is still there. You know, we are spoiled here in the U.S. We have it so easy. I just read an article on a Bible study in the Ukraine. And these missionaries had put together this Bible study. They met once a week. And they only had 12 people that would come. Well, there was 30 inches of snow. And they had to walk miles. I don't remember how many miles. And it was at night. So they're walking through the snow at night just to hear the word of God. Now, I applaud you guys for being here tonight. Um, you didn't have to walk here. Matter of fact, some of you drove here in cars that have heated seats. So, um, you didn't have to put on your snowshoes. Could you imagine when you're sitting at home and, and I'm telling you what I do. You're sitting at home and you're thinking, oh, it's snowing out. It's nice and cold. I just want the fireplace on. I want some hot chocolate. My wife wants some coffee. You know, we want to sit on the couch and snuggle and put a blanket on and just thank God for his goodness instead of going to church. You know, because it's inconvenient. It's too cold. It's, oh, you know, we're wimps. (laughs) Plain and simple, I'm a wimp. So when the Holy Spirit leads you to be salt, 
when he savors your life, when you let him permeate your life, you know, salt doesn't really add flavor. Salt actually molecularly breaks down the cell walls of whatever it touches so that it lets that flavor seep through. So if you put it into a pot with beef and carrots and whatever, it actually allows them to be more beefy and carroty. That's a word. <laughs> I just made it up. So you've got to allow the Holy Spirit to be that salt. Okay, so let's, let's talk about light. We're all familiar with light. You wouldn't be able to see me if we didn't have any here. But let me read to you an excerpt from the Encyclopedia Britannica of what light is. Light, electromagnetic radiation that can be detected by the human eye. Electromagnetic radiation occurs over an extremely wide range of wavelengths, from gamma rays to radio waves. Within that broad spectrum, you're going to be tested on this, so memorize it. Within that broad spectrum, the wavelengths visible to humans occupy a very narrow band from about 700 nanometers for red light down to about 400 nanometers for violet light. Through the sense of sight, light is a primary tool for perceiving the world and communicating within it. Light from the sun warms the earth drives global weather patterns, and initiates the life-sustaining process of photosynthesis. On the grandest scale, light's interactions with matter have helped shape the structure of the universe. Indeed, light provides a window on the universe from cosmological to atomic scales. Pretty cool, huh? Now you know what light is. You got it. The speed of light. Anybody know what the speed of light is? How fast that is? Oh, we do have somebody. 186,280 miles per second, to be exact. You would have been close, but the radar gun would have got you. So, it's fast. We see objects because it doesn't just only reflect light to see color and details, but it also absorbs it. Since light absorbed and reacts differently based on the material it's made of, we can see the outline, the shadow, or the shape of things. So what that really means is we need mostly to see things because they reflect light. The moon It has no LEDs. It has no spotlights. It, when you see a bright full moon, what you're seeing is a reflection of the sun. That moon, as beautiful as it is, has no light in and of itself. You see it because the sun on the other side of the earth is reflecting that light off of the moon and into your eyeballs. Pretty cool. And you know what's really neat? Is the moon only reflects about 3 to 12% of the light that hits it from the sun. 
John 8, 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world. People should see Jesus in us. We should reflect Jesus. You should get a bumper sticker that says, I want to be a full moon. (laughs) Reflect as much of Jesus as you can in your life. When people look at your life, first of all, they should see something different. You shouldn't be the average Joe or Josephine. You should be Jesus. And how do you do that? By reflecting his nature, by allowing the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you. That light that people see, I, I can tell a Christian a mile away, most of them, um, especially if they're wearing a Calvary Chapel hoodie, you know, <laughs> that's pretty easy. Well, you could be saved. You could be a non-believer and still wear a Christian hoodie, so maybe not a good test. But you know when you fellowship with another believer, you have that kinship. The first time that we had, when we moved here, first time that we had people come into our home for the focus group, they walked through the door and it's like, that's my brother. Oh, there's my sister. Yep, there's my brother. Oh, yep. And... I've never spoken to half of them for more than, you know, 30 seconds before. And we immediately were family. And that's so amazing. Because we see Jesus reflected in each one of their lives. That's being light. People need to see our actions, how we live. And if if those actions, I mean, no one's going to be perfect, Um you know, I will share something with you in a second. I need to read another scripture. Let's, let's go to John chapter 3. Oh, I just love the word. Let's, let's jump into John chapter 3, starting in verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned... But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they may have been done in God. Light illuminates or shows us what is truly there. And that sin. At my house, I've got two kids. Um, One's a white lab. The other one is a terrier mix and there is hair all over the place and we sweep it up we 
get it all together nice and clean, and, and then I get out the vacuum, or my wife gets out the vacuum, and it's got a light on it. And as I roll it across the floor, I see a ton of hair. Matter of fact, I vacuumed up enough to make three chihuahuas out of what came out of the filter. And had I not had the light on that vacuum, to my naked eye, I would think it was clean. And But when I can illuminate that, I can actually see what's really there. And that's the way that the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And it's not that we are pointing a finger at people and saying, oh, you sin. No, we're there to lead them to the kingdom. And we share with them God may not approve of your deeds, but he loves you and he wants you to be his child. He's just waiting for you to come home. I don't care what you do. God will change all that. Just give him time. He'll take care of it. You know, I'm not worried about the sinful lifestyle that you have. I'm not concerned about that because God will illuminate that. God will shed light on it. You know, we have to yield to the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's a daily thing. It's the flesh over the spirit. Um, I used to uh, live about 20 minutes, 20, 30 minutes uh, from my office. And on the way to work, because I had this small commute, um, I would spend the time in prayer. And so I'm driving along, and in the major road that I had to drive on for miles uh, had a speed limit of 65. And there were all these tributaries coming into this main road, which was only a two-lane road. And it was out in the country. And most of these roads are dirt roads. But there are stop signs on all of those roads that then come into this main one. So I'm driving along, and I'm worshiping, and I'm praying, and, and I'm really being spiritual. And all of a sudden, this guy just zips out in front of me, and I have to lock him up to keep from hitting him. I'm just um, thinking real spiritual thoughts about this person. And, you know, it, it usually is like, you know, you idiot, where'd you learn to drive? You know, blah, 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 you know, and, and, and then I, I'm like, well, thank you, Lord, for letting me stop in time and not have a wreck. And, okay, now I'm back to prayer. And it's like, what? I know God's just laughing. He's like, yeah, everybody deals with it. Um, and. You know, I, I I go from, it's so easy to be surrendering to the spirit and then jump right into the flesh. It's like, ah. So, you know, we all struggle with that. It's something that we deal with. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. 
But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Oh, yeah, they're really evident. Which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, David Shipley, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control <sighs> against such. There is no law and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Huh? Okay. So we need to live in the spirit. And we need to walk in the spirit. I was at um, my doctor's office and I got to get a deep tissue massage. And um, so I'm, I'm laying there on the table and uh, the massage therapist comes in and, and she's new and we're talking. And, and I'm thinking, say something about the Lord, say something about the Lord. How am I going to do this? And, and I'm thinking, uh, you know, um, I don't know. Uh, no, Lord, it's, 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 it's okay. We'll just talk about kids and weather and, you know, it's okay. No, no, no. And, and I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling and I don't know what to say. And um, so all of a sudden I think of what just happened to me. Uh, this was on a Thursday and Wednesday evening coming to the study here. Uh, I tripped. I didn't see a piece of concrete. I tripped and did a face plant. And, but I didn't get hurt, which is really unusual. And so I shared that with her and I, I said, um, boy, I'm, I'm really glad that you're working on me. I am a little sore on my shoulders because, you know, I, I tripped and I did a face plant on my way to church, uh, we're studying the book of Revelation. And then God just opened it from there. It was like, Lord, thank you. I, I, I needed to yield to the Holy Spirit, but I didn't know what to say. And he just brought it to my mind. And then it was just an easy conversation. And, you know, there's more witnessing coming because that young lady um, belongs to a cult and but isn't practicing there so anyway but I'm praying I don't have to trip again just to be able to <laughs> know what to say okay um, I'm going to close with, with just one more scripture uh, let's let's go to John 15 the last one guys uh, John 15, starting in verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. 
If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have had no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. As you are salt and light, we don't judge, we don't condemn. We shine light. Our lives should shine light. The world will see us as intolerant. I love everyone. I don't care what you do. I don't care what your sexual preference is. I don't care what evil you practice. You don't know the Lord. That's what I care about. Let me show you my Jesus. Let him be reflected through me so that I can be light so that they can see my good works and glorify my father, which is in heaven. And in order to do that, you have to go, "Mm -mm, he did it. Wasn't me. He did it when they see those good works. So we need to be salt. We need to be light. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Father, we are just so thankful for your love, for your mercy and your grace. Lord, we know that we don't have to arm wrestle in order to be your children. We just have to surrender. Lord, help us to surrender more to your Holy Spirit. Father, let us be that salt. Let us help bring healing to the world. Father, help us to be light. Father, let us be that city on a hill. Let us be that light that is shining in the room that people will see and glorify you. Lord, let us be evangelists. Not always in what we say, but mostly in what we do. And Lord, we rely on you for that strength. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for this time of fellowship. And we just worship you because you are worthy. Thank you for your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Dan will be back next week, and we'll see if he can uh, get through Revelation as fast as I did. Have a good night.